And welcome to the Farmers Podcast. It's brought to you by the good people at Heatley Barbecues, who are our major sponsors, along with Elders Rural Services. And I'd like to shout out to those two excellent businesses and uh, another weekend coming up and another weekend to fire up the Heatley Barbecue. I'm, on, I'm Andrew Parker and this is, alongside me, is Noel Bubner. G'day, Noel. G'day, Parks. How's your week gone? Oh, I've had better days. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Do you want to tell us or shall I tell everybody? Oh, no. At the moment, I'm not able to smile about that yet. Is, um, currently, um, <laughs> I think I might cry. Owen is actually <laughs> having some silo art painted as we speak and uh, I've been filming that on my drone. And today I found out that drones don't like breeze and it sort of kind of crashed into the wall of the uh, silo and it came off second best. Which is hardly surprising. Was it near the top of the silos, halfway about up? About two-thirds of the way up, about so it's about a 15, 20-metre drop. And what number drone What number drone was that that you've owned? That was number three. Three. And yes. uh, the other two previous to that, they died a natural death? or uh, One ended up in a bale of hay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drossen and the other one sort of crashed and never really worked properly again. Mm, okay. There you have it. So that's my day. How's your day been, Noel? Uh, my day's I've had a bit of a lay day today. Got a bit of an injury in the shoulder, so thought I'll take a uh, yeah a day off because Rostered I day can off. And try and get the shoulder right for a big day tomorrow. Off to Pinery, Virginia, and. Um, Back to Ireland to get some tyres on the truck tomorrow. So, uh, yep, pretty casual day. Um, don't get many of them, so I enjoyed it. So, this is a bit exciting today. We're tonight, uh, we're going to be interviewing my father, Brian Parker, who is a uh, retired farmer from Owen. Yeah, very good much, day, Brian. Brian. How are well. you? Yeah, good evening, Brian. Brian yeah. is one of our locals, our community volunteers. He does a lot around the town. I'm sure the name's not a stranger to a lot of you, but uh, yeah. Hello, Brian. Thanks yeah, for good day, Noel and Andrew. It's a pleasure to be up front with you in this new concept that you have of having a chat to some of the older generation farmers. Well, I don't know that you're in the older generation just yet, eh, Brian? You've still got a few years left in you. That uh, would be nice. I've uh, been farming now for, or just retired, but been farming for over 60 years. And I guess that gives me an opportunity to slow down. So where have you been farming? Lived all my life in the Owen area. Um, Born at Balaclava and come home on the, the farm, um, one of four, three older girls, and uh, it was an expectation. Yep, and where was school? Uh, went to primary school at the uh, Wood School, and uh, a lot of people laugh when they heard that someone's been to the Wood School, but three of the pupils there are called Woods, so I guess that was inevitable that that's what it would be. Um, ten of us at the school, um, after completing year seven, we went to school down in Adelaide, Scotch College, um, for three years. Um, so to study what was then called an agricultural course. Uh, learn a little bit, but didn't like it much, but I had a lot of fun playing sport. Yeah, yeah. Now there's lots of nice reasons to go to Adelaide. School's not necessarily one of them, I don't think. But, um, yeah, a good way to learn a few other life skills, I guess. It would have been an interesting transition from 10 pupils to Scotch College, I would have thought. Mm, how many in Scotch? Yeah, it was about 400, so it was a huge shock to the system. Um, a lot of us were uh, out from way outside the, the uh, metropolitan area, 
young fellow was there from Alice Springs and he lived on a station and when I walked in there he looked pretty dejected to think that he'd been dumped down there and <laughs> never got home for three months. Um, so the Woods School, um, I guess you were living in the homestead where Andrew lives now? Yes, uh, we lived there. Um, fourth generation farmers, uh, grand, great-grandfather started farming at Long Plains and then Grandpa bought the farm at uh, Woods, uh, just north of Owen, back in 1936. And then when he retired, I took over and now I have retired along with uh, my wife who supported me on the farm. Uh, and my son's taken over now and she, he has his daughter with him on the farm. Okay. Uh, what, was, what was life like when you were a kid living out there and going to school? What was your mode of transportation to get to school? Uh, we had bikes uh, to go to school. Um, our father wouldn't allow us horses in those days. He had a sister killed on a horse accident and so we were given push bikes. Uh, we either rode them or we walked the three miles to school. We thought it was a long way but uh, on a push bike it wasn't too bad except when the wind was always blowing the wrong way. And the rain was coming down from the opposite Yeah, it didn't seem to matter. You still went to school whether you got wet or hot or cold. Did your parents take you when it was raining or you still had to jump uh, on the bike? Occasionally they would take us and then we'd walk home. Many, many times we'd walk home and, at night. Um, some of the other kids had horses, but uh, we rode bikes. Who was your teacher at Woods? only had three. Uh, the first year was a, a lady teacher whose name escapes me at the moment. And then we had a, a girl fresh out of college called Joyce Ross um, and she had her for the next seven years, uh, six years at least. And uh, she had 10 kids in seven grades. So it was a bit of a challenge. We, uh, the older boys give her a hard time. Uh, but we all survived and uh, we got an education. We're talking about a different Joyce Ross here, aren't we? No. Really? <laughs> she must be 150. Yeah, jo- no, Joyce is still, <laughs> still alive. And, and she's um, quite, well, last time I talked to her, she's down at Burnside still driving. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, very good. Wasn't expecting that. Um, did you always, well, I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, did you always want to work in your current field as a farmer or did you have other designs while you were growing up? Seems as though maybe you were steered in that direction a bit. I think in those days the expectation, if you're a, uh, born on a farm and you're a, um, one or two sons, the expectation was that you were going to be a farmer. I think the only thing that... Maybe if I didn't do that, I, I would have been a carpenter and that's something that always has uh, been of interest to me and now that I'm retired, I'm able to spend time in the men's shed uh, doing just that type of thing. But, yeah, I think it was the expectation that I was to be a farmer. Yep, yep, oh, fair enough. Did you um, have any um, extra money earners on the farm as a kid when you were growing up? I don't know, rabbit trapping, uh, <laughs> whatever else happened back then? Yes, our, our uh, farm was a, a mixed farm, which, which meant we had sheep, uh, fat lamb growing, and sidelines, pigs and chooks. And uh, we cropped, and in those days, for, in the early years, we fallowed. So basically a third fallow, third, third crop and sheep on the rest. But yeah, we always had sidelines, and that's what really we lived on for in the early days. Certainly after we were married, we just lived on the income from the chooks. But yep. uh, expanded out um, to the point where we did some share farming and sort of double our cropping area through share farming. 
And uh, what was the rest of your question, though? Yeah, no, that, that, that's pretty much covered. I was yeah, just yeah, wondering whether you had extra incomes, etc. Well, when you when come over from school in the, uh, I suppose that was the late 40s, was it? I left school in 57. Oh, late. Oh, well, uh, well, uh, well. So, so was it, what was your first tractor then? Did you have a tractor or did Grandpa still have horses? Well, I, I was born in 42, which was in the middle of the war, um, and then things were really tough then. <clears throat> My dad didn't go to war because they told him he wasn't well enough. He had a crook heart, but he died at 87, so the heart couldn't have been too bad. But uh, I just missed out on the horses. Um, Dad had them until probably I was three or four. Um, he had a horse team. Uh, and one day they, uh, the team bolted and were tying a, a combine. Um, they took off across the paddock and went through a number of fences with a combine in tow. <laughs> And Dad got in the whole car and headed for Adelaide and he bought his first tractor. So this was in about, about 1944, I would say. Bought a little case decks and we got rid of the horse team, what was left of it. Hmm. Got rid of it in a nice humane way or did you... I don't remember what happened to the horses. I guess they always went for a holiday somewhere. But, yeah, after Peterborough. Yep. We did have one horse in, in my memory. It was only, there were only two horses on the farm. One was a retired... Um, workhorse called Duke, uh, but other than that, uh, we only had one horse that Dad used to ride around the sheep. So I've been through the period. We just missed the the horse and buggy days. Uh, my sisters went to school on a horse and cart, but I missed that. And I feel that over that period from now and until now that I've been fortunate to see some tremendous advances in agriculture. Uh, and I, I, it might be a bit game to say, but I doubt whether there'll be as many changes in the next 50 to 60 years. There'll be different changes, technological changes, mm -hmm. but I think I've seen a lot in our time. What do you think is um, the most um, yeah, the, the, the most amazing piece of equipment you've seen of new technology? What do you think's been the biggest game changer on your property or, or farming in general? Yeah, I think auto steer is probably the thing that, that's been the, the big change for all forms of agriculture, not just broadacre. If you told me 10, 15 years ago that you didn't have to steer your tractor, I would have said you're a, mm. you're a bonkers. Yeah. But now it's an acceptable thing and it's made a lot of the work a lot easier and you do it a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now the, the latest thing that's coming out now, probably that impresses me, is being able to go across a paddock with a boom spray and only spray weeds and not spraying everything, selective spraying. I think that's... Pretty impressive. It's I bit, think that's a terrible idea, just quietly. Um, it's a bit like selective hearing. Yeah. Well, selective hearing isn't going to send me broke. Uh, selective spraying of weeds is going to hurt my bottom line. But, yeah, we'll move with the uh, times and um, understand the bigger picture. It's not all about me, as my wife tells me often. I think you did ask me what my first tractor was. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, Your first tractor, yeah. You yes, my first tractor. first tractor was a... Um, yeah, it was a... Field Marshal Series 3, which I bought second-hand for £175. I think I saw one of them down at Hardwick Bay telling a boat on the weekend, actually. I saw photos. Yeah, it? I reckon it was... Was it blue? They were all blue, the Field Marshals. No, the blue... They, just to contradict you, no, they came out as green and then and some were red. This one that I got, um, I took it home and uh, cleaned it all down and painted the red bits on it, and it, it had a chrome steering at least a chrome gear stick, and that was pretty impressive. It even had lights on it, which were being put off near later, drove off a generator off the flywheel. Yeah. 
Yeah. Most amazing thing was the way you started it, which was really scary. It had a huge handle which you put on the flywheel and took the compressor lever off and you had to turn this over three and a half times and yank out this, this big steering, with this big crank wheel. And if you didn't, you were likely to go through the roof. And the other, the <laughs> other way of, of getting it to go was to put a cartridge in the front of it uh, after putting a, a thing like a cigarette in the front to provide your first ignition. And after you got that in there and you hit the cartridge with a hammer and that has enough pressure in that cartridge to kick it over once and then she'd start the pop, pop. Single cylinder, a very economic tractor, but an absolute bugger to ride on. And yeah, so it was good for your nightmare. back. Yeah, just terrible. Uh, to back up to a machine uh, was really interesting. It did have a hand clutch which you could stand behind the tractor and back it up and try and <laughs> drop the pin in before it bounced away again. I don't think the occupational health and safety would lock on them very kindly anymore. No, it would be OHS manuals just self combusting all across the farm. Um, steel wheels, rubber tyres? Oh, no, rubber tyres. I did have uh, steel wheel combines and cultivators. Our first cultivator was only a 13 tine, fixed tine, so that wasn't too good if you had any stony country. But no, this was a rubber tyre tractor. Yep, yep. As was the case. FM or AM radio? Never even heard about <laughs> such a thing. The only radio we had was a little box in the in the kitchen. Funniest thing you've seen happen on your farm or your neighbour's farm? Yeah, I thought about this for a while. And I, I chose a, something that occurred in the, in the next door neighbours, and I won't mention names, of course. But uh, the next door neighbour was always a panic merchant when in the busy times, especially harvest. And this fellow had to go off to the city for the day uh, to some sort of an appointment, and he left his son out in the paddock reaping. And when he came home in the middle of the afternoon, he tore out in the paddock, jumped into the truck, drove it into Balaclava with a load of grain. They pulled back the tarp and dived in the, and in the probe and it was empty. So. <laughs> 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 but I won't mention names. That's actually has happened once on other occasion too. But. Feel free to ask us on the street though. If you see us walking <laughs> no. down, I'll be making sure yeah. I get the answer before I leave here tonight. Um, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's not a bad... That's not a bad story. Did, did you actually ever go like rabbit shooting or anything like that as a kid, or is it a spotlighting a thing you did often? We did. We did certainly did spotlighting after foxes and rabbits. But uh, early in the piece, uh, when we were still going to primary school, we trapped rabbits. Rabbits were a huge problem uh, when we were still at primary school, and, and till uh, till the probably early fifties, uh, we would go out and trap rabbits in the morning. Um, gut them and hang them across the handlebars of the bike, take them down to the woods school and a fellow come up from Adelaide with a truck which was covered in with fly wire, uh, no refrigeration, right. and take them back to Adelaide and, and sell them. But we didn't think anything about uh, them being not necessarily very clean or hygienic or anything else. But it was worth one and six a pair to catch a pair of rabbits. So twice a day we go around the traps and... Uh, that was earning us a few bob. So he would come out from Adelaide every day? Yeah, Phil drove out from Adelaide on an old track. Okay. Uh, he'd pick up rabbits along the way. Yep, yep. The rabbits in those days were just unbelievably bad, like there would be millions in, in, in every farm. Yeah. Until, yep. until one day we, one of the, the fathers of one of the boys that were going to the wood school turned up there and he had these rabbits in his bag that he'd been to town to collect and they had myxomatosis. 
uh, and they they're pretty. It's a pretty horrible disease, myxomatosis, and the rabbits look sore eyes. And but that was the start of the of the shifting the rabbit plague. It, they were mm. incredible the way they wiped out the rabbits. Yeah, yeah. and they still at times myxomatosis does appear again, yeah, still does. hanging around. Yeah, mm. no, I have seen footage of the olden day rabbit plagues. Um, yeah, just incredible. Um, similar to mice plagues of today, in uh, when they're absolutely at their peak. I seem to recall a story about rabbits. Did you ever try blowing up rabbit burrows or anything like that to try and control them or see it done? Well, certainly it, it was something that was done um, either by hooking up to a, a vehicle and pumping noxious gas into the burrows, but also by um, putting a, a lighted a bag down inside the burrow and then pumping smoke in with a bellows. And I'd seen Dad do this and I thought, oh, I reckon I can do this. So I went out in the scrub on my own and... And I knew he put in some something to ignite this, these bags. Uh, but I chose petrol instead of kerosene. And I threw the, the match into this and uh, I went back home and I had very little hair left on my head. Um, and I don't think I really killed any rabbits either, but that was the end of my effort at, at trying to blow up a rabbit warren. Thank goodness there's no social media around in, in those days with yeah. the mobile telephones taking footage. We did do it. We did get rid of a lot of rabbits with with bulldozers. The council come and, and rip the, the warrens. That was really very effective. So obviously there's no market for them anymore. That's why you've created havoc on them. Well, not to the not for the number of rabbits who were around. No, it yeah. was just unbelievable. Mm. Uh, they would just wipe out a whole paddock of crop. They're so bad. Yeah. Um. So funniest thing that you've seen happen on your farm. <laughs> That Andrew did. No, that wasn't in there. I don't think that's not there. <laughs> I think it can be no, there, I though. This is, you know, we're learning. It's all flexible. We've covered that, haven't we? Have Pretty we? much, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure there must have been something else there that uh, your dad can recall fondly. Yeah, there's all sorts of ways of getting into trouble. Andrew had a little bit of a habit of doing that at times. I can remember we were away on holidays one time and middle of summer, very hot weather, and he was feeding the pigs and the, the auger blocked up. So he took the auger off the bottom of the silo and placed his arm down inside and tried to release the, the um, grain that w- wouldn't come out. With that, it fell down and jammed him in there. Um, fortunately, he could reach a, uh, a spanner and with that, with a shifting spanner, he managed to break away the spout of the silo and escape. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to get into trouble uh, on a farm, we did lots of things which uh, which we probably wouldn't have done a second time. No, exactly right. We've we've all learned from those experiences think, and moved on. I felt a bit like MacGyver after I freed myself from that. But, um, <laughs> and no doubt you got straight around and picked up the shovel and shoveled it all back into the silo again. And no, it didn't come out. Just uh, my arms, so yeah, it was all yeah, good. Okay. Yep. Shoved the auger back in and away I went. But, um, the piece of equipment you yeah. have done the most damage to. Yeah, I was thinking about this question and... We used to knock off Saturday afternoons and, and go to sport and I was off playing tennis one day um, in reaping time and left a header parked in the paddock and I come home after I'd played my single and um, my double and very keen young bloke, 18, 19 year old, jumped on the, on the Fordson tractor and I let out the the uh, clutch a bit too quick on the PTO shaft and there was a bang and a crash and I turned around and 
the uh, GL200 was covered in oil and bits and pieces of gearbox that had flown to pieces. And needless to say, I wasn't terribly popular when Dad got home. So we had uh, probably had about a week off repairing the damage on the on the header. Mm. And that was repairs that you did yourselves, or do we get Vermeerans or someone like that? Uh, well, that required a lot of new parts, um, <laughs> and I can't remember. But a lot of the work we did did ourselves, and, and still right up till the time we gave up farming, um, you did your own repair work. Yep, yep. Worst job on the farm, I think one of you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think in the early days when we had to clean our grain um, out of bags, take it out of the barn and tip it into the Hennefer grater and they bag it off, leave it in a big heap and the bloke operating the grater would drive off down the road leaving us with all these bags to sew up and then lift them back into the barn again. And it was always 40 degrees plus whenever it happened, filthy dirty and a lot of dust. And it was a thing that I never look forward to seeing. The Hannaford man, that... He's he's still about. He's a mobile seat cleaner. He was an interesting character from what I can remember. Quite often they'd stay overnight and uh, they're usually covered in head-to-toe in pickle. We're not sure how good that was for them. Probably not great, but as long as they get the drums empty, that's the main thing. Was that Alan Milton? Uh, he's still getting around now. I don't know whether he's... Yeah, no, he didn't do ours, but um, yeah, some of those fellas got into a bit of trouble uh, over the years. Um, but ingenuity got them out of trouble. I know share farming up at Solder Springs and uh, the gr- doing the grading up there with, uh, and the fellow come along. The machine wouldn't start. And the gear, the starter motor was was uh, gone crook, and he said, "Oh, we'll have to knock off for the week. Do we get another starter motor?" And the bloke I was working for, Colin Hocking, he got in underneath it and wrapped a piece of rope around the flywheel laying flat on his back underneath and he managed to get the machine going in. So he kept it going for the rest of the day and finished the steed cleaning. Wow, we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Necessity is the mother of all creation. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you've the obviously... The worst piece of equipment you've ever purchased. Seriously, there's been some shockers. Yeah, we've had a few over the years, but um, thinking about this, uh, a crowd came up from Adelaide that had made some knock-on chairs and they wanted us to try these on an um, international cultivator, and they're really, really good cultivator. In fact, it's still out the farm. I can't bring myself to part with it. Anyway, these knock-on chairs, I, I, I put them on at home, which is uh, uh, north of Owen, and I had, was working up at Solder Springs, ripping up the country, so it's about an hour trip up there on the cultivator to try out these shares. Did one round around the paddock, lifted them out of the ground, and I think there were two shares left, and the rest <laughs> is gone. <laughs> so, yeah, jump in the tractor and drag the cultivator back home and put some bolt-ons back on again and went back again. Yep. So that took care of that day. <laughs> and the bank balance. Yeah, uh, well, I didn't pay for them. It was just a time loss, but yep. they were one of the worst things that I'd ever got involved in. Is that brand still around today? I don't think so, no. No, I uh, thought so, no. Yeah. Probably didn't last long after that. Probably. Your most most respected farmer or, or person personally that you've come across and you you can add more than one. You don't have to limit this to one person, but people that made you think have influenced farming or influenced yourself in your outlook on farming or life. I thought about this one for quite a while too, and uh, obviously the most respected farmer would be my son Andrew. And <laughs> <laughs> cash for comment. <laughs> but and, Professor Andrew Bart as a fellow that's contributed a tremendous amount to agriculture in, in not only South Australia but 
probably around the world with his development of firstly oats and then barley varieties. Uh, highly respected fellow and he's contributed much to uh, many different organisations around the world and I think he'd be number one. Yeah, pretty good selection that one and um, yeah, Andy, if you're listening to this, we're coming for you uh, at some stage in the future so uh, start thinking about uh, the questions you've heard this afternoon. Do you consider yourself a, an innovator, an early adapter? You just don't like change? Oh no, I, I think uh, I'm pretty happy to have a crack. Um, we actually... Uh, we had the first bulk handling equipment in the area. Uh, we got a, a bin made for the truck up at Balaclava. A fella called Hans made the bin. And we had a born bulk elevator, which you pulled up alongside of a, a trailer bin tied to the side of the header. Um, we'd, we would bag half a load and then tip it up this born elevator. Talking about one of the worst pieces of equipment, that would go yeah. pretty close. <laughs> they weren't great. But, yeah, we... we it was very early in the piece that we went bulk handling, I think in about 57, 56, yeah. when we started carting grain to balaclava in bulk. And, of and course the later, solid dumper? Yeah, that was, it was a few mistakes made with that. It didn't have enough gravity, so you had to carry a broom to sweep half the load out each time. Mm. But it was still better than bagging and sewing up bags. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what, uh, what would you tell yourself, your 20-year-old self, if you could go back in time, get a time machine... And uh, you can go back there for a day. Um, do you have something that stands out in your mind that, yeah, maybe I might consider doing this differently or, or are you pretty happy with things that are mapped out? I think we're extremely lucky, uh, my generation, to be brought up when we, when we were, born in, in around 1940s. Uh, we didn't have the pressure of alcohol and drugs and other pressure that went with those things um, and being born onto a farming property you were shielded a great deal from from other problems in life uh, would I do anything different of course I would everybody makes mistakes but no I, I would certainly have another crack at farming yep. um, I think uh, my philosophy is probably that you respect what other people. They, you may not necessarily agree with them, but uh, respect what they do. And if you make a mistake, being prepared to face up to it. Yep. Uh, but I think if you get a good idea, uh, if you believe it to be a good idea, go around and convince enough people that it is a good idea and have a crack at it. Yep, no, good one. What about when the... Uh you were obviously heavily involved in the establishment of the old swimming pool. Can you remember much about that? Yes, I was. Um, certainly wasn't on the original organising committee. But lots of things went wrong uh, in the building of that pool. Uh, firstly, when the hole was dug, we got two-thirds of the way down and found a, a huge rock right in the middle. Uh, and being alongside the water tower, we couldn't blast the rock. It was too big to move, so you actually had to move the hole, which necessitated carting a lot of sand back to move the hole along a bit. Uh, and there were lots of funny things that occurred. Well, it was all voluntary. Uh, Paul was opened in 1964, the year I got married, and it opened free of charge for a princely sum of $32,000. So now they're talking about 
four or five million dollars to build a swimming pool yeah. and that pool is still going and it's really good if you want to come and have a swim best pool in the district yeah, absolutely and, um and yeah four to five million dollars to build a pool like that these days with all the heavy lifting equipment you could ever want what brand loaders dug the holes the for the own swimming pool was it a caterpillar? Yeah, it would have been old caterpillar loaders. A council provided them. I'm surprised that you yeah. actually there was a machine. I thought it was probably a, it was dug a small it by dozer. Hand. I can't remember what yeah, number that, it was. But there was a council okay. council equipment was used to dig the hole. Yep. Uh, and that's what happened in those days. We had a local island council still in. So if you wanted something done, you got the council guys to do it for you. But of course, there's too much red tape now. It doesn't happen anymore. No, exactly right. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, lots of things went wrong at the pool over the years. But it was all voluntary stuff. And uh, we overcome them. We've got a question here. We don't necessarily. We can add it. We can or leave it. But I think we'll both whack it in Chuck there. It out there. Got a yep. um, favourite place you've been or a holiday or it's not all about work. Is there somewhere that you really enjoy going apart from New Zealand to see your daughter? We we were very fortunate that our parents always took us for holidays. The first uh, ten or fifteen years it was to Port Parham, and. Uh, after that, we ventured to Port Vincent on York's Peninsula. But I guess uh, to pick out one place, that, despite what Andrew said, it's, it's either got to be New Zealand or Tasmania is the most beautiful places in the world and best climates and places to visit. Recommend it highly. Yep, yep. He has got a daughter in Tasmania and a daughter in New Zealand. I'm, I think he's a little biased, but... Mm-hmm. Well, like cold places, they're places to go. Everybody I've spoken to rates all these places pretty highly. And as we speak, we do have a travel bubble with Good. New Zealand. And with um, Tasmania. And with Tasmania, that's right. Two overseas destinations we can now go to. Yes, so, um, yeah, things are looking up, but uh, let's see how well that comment ages. Um, yeah, over the duration of the pandemic, I guess. Oh, well, thank you very much, Brian. I reckon that probably just about wraps it up, unless you've got anything else you want to add. Once again, I'll probably big shout out to our sponsors, Heatley Barbecues and uh, Rural Services. So, yeah, thanks very much and uh, thanks for coming. It's a pleasure. Look forward to and seeing you around, Brian. Yeah, and good luck with your venture into podcasting. Thank you very much. And, Andrew, we'll see you tomorrow sometime. We'll um, see how we go with this drone. I'm just it's in the hands of the insurance company at the moment. Uh, Anybody wants a cheap drone? Uh, some, some parts from Mavic Pro? Contact me. Got heaps of <laughs> little ones. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>